Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. But I can't do a podcast, I'm in the middle of a luncheon. (laughs) (laughs) I am Joel. What a throwback. Thank you. And I am just a little toe with big ambitions, (laughs) Billy Ray. (laughs) (laughs) And today we will be discussing season five, episode five, Mirror Mirror. Yes. So today I will be doing the overview and B will be giving us his trivia and all of his little tidbits that he's thought of throughout the episode. So, do you have anything to start us off? Yes. This was written by Jeff Greenstein and Mark Cherry and directed by David Grossman and it aired on the 26th of October 2008. Oh, very nearly Halloween. I know, it's very exciting. The title Mirror Mirror is most likely from the song Who's That Woman? Brackets Mirror Mirror from Follies. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there wasn't much to go on, so I did some trivia on David Grossman, our director. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, we haven't done any trivia on him, and he's done a lot. He's basically the resident director, really, isn't he? Yeah. He also directed season four, episode 17 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Superstar, where Jonathan is suddenly a hero to everyone in Sunnydale. Yes, I remember that, and everyone was, like, obsessed with him. These are things that me and Joel have watched, so I'm really sorry if you haven't. Also, season six, episode one and two, Bargaining, part one and two, in which Buffy is resurrected. Yeah, yeah. And season six, episode eight, Tabula Rasa, in which Willow tries to cast a spell to help Buffy forget about the afterlife, but accidentally takes away everyone's memories. Yes, yeah. I love all those episodes. Those were good episodes. He also directed some Malcolm in the Middle episodes, which we're watching right now, guys. He directed season five, episode 15, Reese's Apartment, in which Lois and Hal kick out Reese, and he gets his own flat. Which was such a good episode. He also did season five, episode 20, Victor's Other Family, where Lois visits her half-sister and family who are just like them, but pretty much better. Better. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was a good... David Grossman's good. <laughs> I thought he directed a few episodes of Friends, but they weren't on IMDb, so I might have made that up in my head. Maybe. Not Friends. The Office. I meant The Office. Oh, okay. Potato, potato. And that's all I've got. Oh, okay. Okay, so previously on Desperate Housewives, Brie used her business to distract herself from her problems in her life and became very successful because of it. Much to Catherine's dismay, Orson now works for their company, sort of. It's kind of looked into a bit further this episode, but we're kind of left hanging with that for the time being. Bit rough. And Dave's intense desire to move to Wisteria Lane and his attempts at controlling everyone has caused Karen to become suspicious. Mm. It's a little bit of an unusual episode, this one. We have we start with a flash forward, and then we sort of flash back, and then we get so many more flashbacks, which give us so much more information into the five-year time gap that we've been wondering about. So it was a very well-done episode. So we open at Karen's surprise party, where we see many of the housewives arguing with their other halves. And Tom's moaning at Lynette for not supporting him, and she ends up throwing a drink in his face. Jackson seems to be upset with Susan's attitude towards their relationship and kisses Catherine in front of her. Carlos has pissed off Gabby for lying to her and she shoves him to the floor. And Brie is annoyed at Orson for the position he's sort of put her in and Orson ends up asking for a divorce. And then that's when Karen turns up with a baseball bat and goes for Dave. So let's find out how we got here. Yeah, shall we? Because we're probably all thinking, what's Dave done to warrant so many arguments in one go? Right, What's what has happened at this party to have everybody's marriages just collapse on them? <laughs> Funny enough though. It wasn't Dave for most of them. No, it wasn't. They kind of just, they're all arguing. Yeah. I would also like to point out that we get quite a clear definition with the stories. We start with Gabby and Lynette and then Brie and what have you. And each time we cut to a different housewife, they're all preparing to go to the party and they're all doing a different form of makeup to their face. Yeah. Uh, So Gabby is doing her lips and she realises that she is late. Hmm, That's a good spot. Okay, then. Uh, And we flash back to the first time she finds out that she's pregnant and she slaps the doctor and freaks out. 
Yeah, which was funny, but also if that happened in real life, I would instantly call security. They would literally be calling security. <laughs> we do not condone violence towards people that have trained for such a long time to get to the job they're in, just yeah. for you to attack them when also, they are trying to help you. Attack them twice, by the way. She slaps him, him twice. And then she's like, randomly like, what's this number mean? Like, it's this, like, it's the only thing on that sheet of paper in front of her. Like, that's the one thing she can see. And he's like, oh, it could be twins. And she Smack. slaps him again. <laughs> So she tells Carlos, uh, they start preparing, and we find out why Carlos became a masseur in this scene, because they have no job, and so Carlos is like, oh, you don't need sight with that, it's all about your hands, so I'll just become a masseuse. And Gabby opens up about how she gave up on having kids a long time ago, and then we go straight into another flashback, pretty much, where the doctor tells Gabby she's pregnant again with Celia or Brumhilda, whichever you prefer. And this time, because Carlos didn't want to wear a condom and Gabby didn't put her foot down. Yeah. Like, she does throw it to Carlos. Like, <laughs> lightning's never going to strike twice. Oh, we've had one miracle, blah, blah, blah. But Gabby, you could have said no. Yeah, all I was thinking was, why are you both so stupid? Yeah. I mean, Carlos is stupid for thinking lightning's not going to strike twice. We're not going to get a second one. Well, she just had one. Yeah. But then Gabby to just go, go ahead with it. What the hell? Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, you're a married couple, so you can easily just sort of say, we won't have sex tonight. We'll run to the shop tomorrow morning, grab condoms and have sex. You know, people do stupid things when they're horny. They really do. They do. So she now demands that Carlos get a vasectomy. Yeah. Even though it's against their religion. It, yeah, it's against their religion, but Gabby really doesn't seem to care. She just does not want to fall pregnant again. And we come back to the present day, and Gabby tells Carlos that she might be pregnant, but she isn't really sure how, and Carlos tries to calm her down. But she's adamant she wants to talk to Bob, who's going to be at the party, who seems to be the only couple there, Bob and Lee, that don't have any problems yeah. at this party. <laughs> because Gabby basically wants to see if she can sue the person that clearly messed up Carlos's vasectomy. And this is when he tells her that he lied, and that he didn't actually get a vasectomy. And then Susan opens the door to welcome them in. Yeah, this is really terrible. Lying about having a vasectomy is a terrible thing to do, and it's a total violation of Gabby. Yeah, and it's not the first time Carlos has violated Gabby. No, it's not. Because let's not forget when he tampered with her birth control pills. His excuse is absolute bullshit as well. Mm. But we'll cover that when we get there. We will. So how did you feel about us flashing back to a young, gorgeous Gabby? <gasps> oh, yeah, I loved it. This I loved is, seeing is... her. She was stunning. And old Gabby was great. And she was there like, neither of us have jobs. And I was like, that's the Gabby I know. <laughs> this is the first old, gorgeous Gabby we've seen in ages. It is. It was great. It, I, I'm glad we're getting flashbacks to give us a bit of in-depth. Especially even into situations that we didn't really have questions for. Yeah. Like, none of, n neither of us were questioning why Carlos became a masseuse. No. It's nice to actually see the reasoning behind it. Yeah, I don't care at all, but no, I guess it's nice. But it's, well, yeah, it's nice that world building It's I like world building when it's something we don't have to ask. So yeah, no, I really enjoyed seeing Gabby. Oh, good. So uh, a bit later in the party, Gabby is threatening Carlos with death for the awful lie that he kept up with for the past two or three years. And then we see her shove him and he sort of blind man falls down. He falls. Yeah, he, so. how did she manage to push him over? Because he's blind. It doesn't stop your you from being a big man. He's a big man. No, I know, but he probably wasn't prepared. He can't see her body language, so he can't see that she's getting ready to shove him. That's a good point. I guess there's a lot of resistance when you can see it coming. Yeah. And then after the party, Gabby is upset with Carlos, but apparently he did this because he wants another kid, and he sort of specifically says a son. Yes, this is the bullshit excuse I was talking about. Something about not being able to shake the idea that God has one more miracle. Maybe a son. Mm-hmm. 
Is that what this is really about? You're abusing Gabby's body because you want a son? Why not just adopt a son if you want one that badly? But Gabby clearly doesn't want another child because she's valid in the points that she made earlier, which is you can barely afford the two children that you have. Selfish prig. The level of lying and manipulation. Far too it's much. It's red flags. Red flags from Carlos constantly. That's all he gives. You'd yeah. think losing his sight would humble him a bit. This is why Carlos is my least favourite of the husbands. I know. And so Carlos apologises to Gabby and realises it was stupid and offers to get his vasectomy booked, but Gabby tells him they will both just use birth control for the time being. I don't understand why Gabby's being so forgiving. I would be so angry. This wouldn't go away like that. I think because to a certain extent, Gabby's a little bit like, I kind of didn't have any right to demand that he get a vasectomy. True. So this is her sort of way of saying, okay, I I was sort of overdramatic in my demand from you as well. So we'll both just use birth control until we are in a position to make a decision. That's a grown up way of looking at it. Because with me, it'd be like, how would you like to lose another sense? Maybe hearing, give him a good old smack witch. I mean, I don't think that'd make him lose his hearing for too long. With a bit of when I do it. <laughs> uh, so that's Gabby and Carlos' storyline. So that's why they were arguing and how they have resolved it. Yeah, I hated it. She forgave him way too easily. He's a dick. She really did. So what a mess. Okay. So cut to Brie, who is doing her eyes. And uh, Orson's all dressed up and ready to tell everyone about his new job. But Brie isn't too thrilled as she wants to wait to tell Catherine as she knows she'll not be impressed. And Orson doesn't really get why it's so difficult for Brie to tell her. And we get Brie's flashback. And Orson's about to head off to jail. And Brie is throwing him a going away brunch. And Orson's getting very drunk and the usual gay prison jokes all come about. And the people sat at this dinner are Andrew, Bob, Lee. Because for gay prison jokes, you have to have the three gays, I guess. These jokes have aged like milk. Yeah, they're not (laughs) good jokes at all. A little bit odd as to why Bob and Lee are there. The writers just seem to put Bob and Lee in there at really random intervals. It kind of makes no sense. Yeah, they're people's friends. So they'll show up at random times. Yeah. So Brie is clearly quite upset at Orson's sort of behaviour. What gave it away? And um, sort of Andrew's, uh, everyone else's behaviour as well, all the gay jokes and stuff like that. And um, Orson finishes his drink, so Brie goes to get him another one, but takes a sneaky sip when no one is looking, and this starts Brie on another downward spiral of drinking. Yeah, he's so annoying that he's driving her into drinking again. Yeah. It's an uncomfortable situation. He's just sitting there, drinking, getting drunk, making snipey little passive-aggressive comments towards Brie, who can't drink herself. Yeah. Oof. Also, when I say she takes a sip, she downs the whole glass of champagne. Well, she starts with a sip. She does. But it's a gateway sip. It is, a, it is yeah. honest to God, a gateway sip. Oh, Brie. Poor old Brie. So we then go into another flashback of Brie hungover in bed and being woken up by a very upset Catherine as they have a job to do when she realises Brie's been drinking and she helps her get herself back on track. They literally have a lunch to cater that afternoon. Yeah. Oh, poor Catherine. Well, from what Catherine said in this scene... It's not the first event that they've been doing that Brie has missed. Maybe this is Brie's way of getting back at Catherine for bailing out at the last minute last season. Oh, when, what, when Wayne the, was coming to yeah, town. <laughs> yeah, for the um, commitment ceremony. Yeah. Catherine literally picks her back up and gives her that drive to carry on and kind of push her to be successful in Orson's absence. So it really makes you wonder what's happened in the past five years to make Brie so vain and Catherine so resentful. Quite the dramatic shift. It is a really dramatic shift. I think it's because Brie basically did what Catherine suggested, which is you fill it with work and accomplishments. And that is what Brie has done. And with that advice has seen Brie shoot up in success. But Catherine remained where she is. And Brie hasn't remained humble in keeping Catherine alongside and being like, I wouldn't be here today without... The woman that started the catering company, the woman yeah. that inspired me to carry on during hard times, the woman yeah. that told me to drive for success. Exactly. For success. Also, 
in all fairness, Catherine, it wasn't the best advice because it's great to, well, it's not great. You can fill that time with work and success, but also looking after yourself. And I feel yeah. like that was a key ingredient that was missing from that advice. You know, fill it with work, success, and take care of yourself a bit. That's true. Self-care. Take into account the things you have right now and the things you love. Mm. Yeah, but she doesn't have anything right now. That's her thing. That's yeah. what she was saying. So She has Catherine. Well, yeah. Brie basically doesn't and believe she a, has anything a, left. A, apparently Bob and Lee. <laughs> yeah, whenever they want to come over. But <laughs> Catherine tells Brie otherwise and refuses to let Brie throw herself a little pity party. Yeah, Brie wants a little pity party. <laughs> Brie wants a little pity party, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm life, Brie. <laughs> life biting you in the ass. So, <laughs> so basically... Catherine agrees to move in to help take care of Brie and help Brie during her sort of second stage of recovery. What a great friend. A really good friend. Yeah, I bet she was a hard ass as well. Mm. I bet she searched for that alcohol. Yeah. She wasn't going to let any of Brie's little tricks pass her by. No, because Brie was good at hiding it. Yeah. So we cut back to present day and Orson isn't letting it go, telling Brie she sounds more like a boss than a partner. And so she fires him then and there because he won't basically be a decent human being. She only called you a partner for the for the sound of it you're not really a partner you're an employee yeah but because he just clearly is Bree's like oh well i'm not telling Catherine. he's like well now will be the perfect time because i'll be telling people even if you won't tell Catherine, and Catherine will just have to deal with it otherwise she'll look petty it's perfect it's the perfect opportunity to tell her orson's just so excited to be able to tell people that he's finally got something but maybe just take a step back orson just for a minute but weirdly enough I don't get why he's so excited to tell people that the only reason he's got a job is because of his wife, when in the previous episode, he hated the fact that his wife was the one that was successful, and he wasn't the breadwinner. Which is really reflected in this episode, because he doesn't seem to be able to stand the idea of working for them and not being a partner. Yeah. So, um, it's obvious that Orson has no idea of the level of relationship that Brie and Catherine have, and how Catherine sort of saved Brie in a time when she was really struggling. Mm. Um, it was kind of implied in the flashback that Catherine tells Brie essentially not to tell Orson when he returns because Brie's like, he'll be so ashamed. And so, yeah, she basically says, you're fired to Orson. And then they walk past Tom and Lynette who are in the street dealing with their own shit that we're going to get into. Oh, yeah. Uh, So later in the party, Orson tries to manipulate Brie into doing what he says by reminding her that she made him go to jail, but that doesn't work. So he moves on to telling Brie that he has no reason to get out of bed and for her to give him a reason and then take it away is cruel. And again, he doesn't get why she's putting Catherine's feelings ahead of his and he asks for a divorce. I mean, you can't manipulate her by saying she made you go to jail. You ran someone over. You did the crime. Right? This isn't Bree's fault. <laughs> you, you're you the reason I went to jail. No, also, you did the crime. Blame your mother. She didn't tell on you and she said she wouldn't. She said it's up to you to hand yourself in or we're getting a divorce. The decision was completely in your hands, Orson. So after the party, Bree tells Orson that he doesn't understand what she owes to Catherine. And then she tells him everything that happened regarding her drinking while she was gone. And then Orson goes over to Catherine's to thank her for taking care of Bree and tells her that he will only become a partner in the firm once she has decided that he's earned that right. But Catherine doesn't believe he'll last long enough. Yeah, he's like, working with Bree, you won't last two months. (laughs) What was with the whole you started the company and gave her a job when she needed one thing? I've got no idea. Orson seems to have started the company. Yeah. Because Brie didn't want to do it at first. Yeah. So, uh, we move to Lynette, who's doing her hair while getting ready for the party. Yeah. So, Lynette's calling for Penny, who's depressed and sat outside in Tom's convertible. And we now meet Penny for the first time. We finally have more lines of dialogue. We do. And she believes Tom is dying because of what she overheard Porter and Preston talking about, which is basically who's going to get the convertible when Tom dies. Yeah. Uh, she reassures Penny that Tom will be fine and live until he's old and withered and we get a flashback. It's such a 
an older sibling thing to make you think one of your parents is dying as a prank. Is it? <laughs> yeah, like I could imagine one of mine doing that when I was younger. I was about to say, did they? Jesus. No, I can imagine it. Uh, so Lynette's at the hospital as Tom was apparently working on something electrical and got a massive shock that stopped his heart. Now, I'm going to stop the podcast right here, guys, and tell you that you don't work on anything electrical, especially if it is not unplugged. <laughs> Straight men for you. I'll fix it. I can fix anything. I'm a heterosexual man. Oh, I mean, I'm sure Tom was just doing it to try and save money, but don't do that, guys. Um, make sure it is switched off and unplugged at the mains before you even attempt to start looking at anything. And even then, if you're trying to do anything electrical, I really wouldn't recommend you doing it yourself. Even a YouTube video is not really going to show the intricacies of doing and fixing something electrical. Yeah. So, yeah, Tom's heart was stopped and he was resuscitated but being monitored and Lynette is in Tom's room telling him no more electrical work and making him rest. (laughs) But Tom is freaked out about his accident and we now realise where his midlife crisis came from as Tom wants more from his life again. Here's the thing. This is such a complicated situation because if the midlife crisis begins after this, what was all that shit before? Yeah. He's just so impulsive. (laughs) And this is why I do not like Tom. He's constantly making his entire family stop their lives to work around him. Mm. And that's not a marriage. That's not a family. You know, you need to bend and sway with each other. Bend and sway. Bend and sway. The bend and snap. You've got to bend and snap with each other. The bend and sway of the universe. (laughs) I find the struggle relatable. It's just the methods I don't agree with. Like you say, he has a family. So even if you're struggling to find purpose in life, you can't just keep operating your family. No. This scene did tug at my heartstrings. He literally died in the five-year time jump. Yeah. Like, it it was really quite heartbreaking to sort of see Lynette basically say she's going to let him get some rest, but he refuses to let her go. And he realises that this is all he's ever going to amount to, which is exactly what Dave said in episode, like, one or two. Oh, yeah. They wanted us to think that Mike was dead in episode one. It's Tom that died. Yeah, right. (laughs) Tom died. Yeah. Uh, So we enter another flashback of Tom getting his car, and Lynette doesn't really seem to be too thrilled about this random purchase, I would like to point out. Lynette had no idea he was going to be pulling up with his car, but Tom tells her that he carries around his little hospital tag to remind him of when he almost died, so he doesn't stop living his life, basically. If I was Lynette and saw that hospital tag reminding him, I'd be like, oh shit, he's going to be even more impulsive than ever now. I know, I've literally got here, Lynette can't really counter the argument, and she's realised she's stuck with it. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be like, Tom, you already act like you've nearly died. All the time. Every single week, (laughs) Tom acts like he's nearly dead. Uh, So then we cut back to present day, where Tom returns home, telling Lynette he bought an RV. Oh yeah, I'm about to blow your mind, Lynette. And then she's got a nervous girl, she's like, "Ah, don't, I like my mind the way it is. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So he wants to take the kids out of school for a year and drive around the US, when Lynette reminds him that they have a restaurant to run, and Tom tells her that he sold the restaurant this afternoon, and then that's when we see Brie and Orson walk past them, and I swear to God, I actually find this worse than Carlos. Again, Tom making a big decision, a big life choice without consulting his wife Mm. this is such typical tom behavior look what i've done yeah without consulting you my partner in life swear to god it made me so angry watching this (laughs) these really are some desperate housewives because these men are infuriating (laughs) you need a bloody medal all of them carlos orson and tom are just so annoying so at the party lynette's telling tom how stupid his idea is but tom gets pissed off basically and tells lynette to just support him and stop being a buzzkill and she throws the drink in his face it's rough because I can't deny that she has been a bit of a buzzkill this season. She hasn't been a buzzkill. <laughs> Sorry. She has literally been trying to keep that family going, except for that one time when she screwed over her teenage son. And Penny. When did she? Oh, yeah. And she did screw over Penny as well. <laughs> she won worst parent for it. That's true. For both oh, of those, so, actually. I, I said earlier, this is the first time you meet Penny, but it's not. Well, we didn't really meet her in the episode. Penny no, but 
Uh, so after the party, Tom tells Lynette that she doesn't get it, but she reminds him that she had cancer, so she gets it perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, she literally gets it. She yeah. got she had cancer. You can't say she doesn't get it. She then calls him out for his childish attitude with life, telling him that he can't just change everything every time he gets bored, and it is about bloody time. Read him, Lynette. Read him for filth. <laughs> I loved that. He wants this to be this big adventure, and she's like, the pizza restaurant was the adventure. Yeah. You can't keep doing these things. I mean, it has taken five seasons for Lynette to finally call out Tom on his bullshit, and I'm so happy it's happened. I get it. It's hard. It's hard for everyone. Everyone wants to be able to be financially free mm-hmm. and to travel and see the world and live their lives. Yeah. But no, no, not everyone can do it. No, unfortunately not. Especially if you have a family, you're, more, you're much more likely to be able to do that as just a couple with no kids as well. And what I don't get is in the flashback, Tom was like, oh, I just realised that I was going to die in, in a pizza place. But you were the one that was super excited about a pizza place. I was like, in a pizza it was, place? That it, was your adventure. That, that was, was your dream. dream. Your dream was to open a pizza place. And now all of a sudden you're really paranoid that you're going to die as known just as an owner of a pizza place. Oh yeah, God forbid you're, you die knowing that you're the owner of your own business. business. Successful business, I might like to add. There you go. So we cut to Susan, who is doing her eyebrows. And Jackson has been running late, and apparently it's because he's at Susan so much that when this is the worst excuse ever, and I cracked up. Okay, so he he's running late because he's at Susan so much that when he goes back to his actual place, he's forgotten where everything is. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't really take note of the excuse. I must have just blocked it out. <laughs> I'm just like, what do you mean you've forgotten where everything is? Okay, I mean, a bit like Karen later on. I mean, <laughs> like, what the hell? True. I mean, I when me and B first got together, I was around his place so often, but I still remembered where all my shit was. Right, I've never gone back to my mum and dad's house and been like, where's the kitchen again? I don't... I don't yeah, where do I keep my trousers? <laughs> like, Maybe try the wardrobe or a chest of drawers or something? So, uh, honestly, I swear to God. So he takes this moment to ask if they should move in together, and we flash back to Susan, who's newly separated and has recently hired Jackson to decorate, and so she's like leading him around the house and telling him about his her miserable new life that she's found herself in, and we have a clip. Get out. Excuse me? I was not born yesterday, pal. You're coming on to me. No, I'm not. Oh, please, telling me I smell good? I'm not even wearing deodorant. I said the house smells good. Semantics, and then the not-so-subtle sit-on-the-bed maneuver? You know, why not just ask for a massage? I sat because my feet hurt. From you dragging me around for an hour, telling me you want to paint every room taupe. You said you liked it. Look, you're obviously going through a rough patch. I was afraid if I suggested anything outside the beige family, I might send you over the edge. I think he was playing with her, by the way. Well, he says, oh, I said your house smelled good. I was like, no, you didn't. No, you said, what is that perfume? Yeah, you were like, is that your perfume? So, no, you did not say that the house smelled good. Nice try, sir. Susan was right to call him out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, he was also right to call you out in saying that all you want is taupe. Yeah, taupe. Anything else of the beige family. Have you tried cream? A nice... Deep beige. Egg white, maybe? Egg white. God. (laughs) So she basically hires Jackson. That's the story of how Jackson gets hired. Yeah. And then we then hit another flashback of Mike and Susan signing their divorce papers. But she clearly has her reservations and she stops everything and asks Mike if they're doing the right thing. But he kind of can't just believe the audacity of Susan leaving it to this late in the divorce game. Divorce babe. I I was feeling Mike. I was like, Susan, it's been a year. Uh, (laughs) We've been separated for a year. She... Basically, she believes that they can be good again. It's a really heartbreaking scene because well, the audience all agree with Susan. They're, we were they, Mike and they're Susan. They're Mike and Susan. You know, you only get one of those. Like us, we're Billy Joel. We are Billy Joel. 
You only got one of those in a lifetime. We're, we're a BJ together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got two classic nicknames for our relationship. Yeah. Mike basically believes that the best thing for them to do is to just sign the divorce papers. And he signs it and leaves. And Susan has a little bit of a cry. And she goes back to her house where Jackson's there painting the kitchen or dining room taupe, whichever room it is. And she pulls out the booze. <laughs> and she's like, you're you're having a drink with me. <laughs> yeah. And they end up sleeping together. And then Jackson tells Susan that he isn't interested in anything serious. Susan says that this works for her. She's not interested in anything either. And then we come back to present day and Jackson repeats his question about moving in with Susan. Susan says no. Jackson announces his love. And Susan Upward. answers the door to Gabby and Carlos. That was an interesting flashback to the start where Jackson is the one who says he isn't looking for anything serious. And then Susan's like, hallelujah. Mm. And then episode one of this season, Jackson's the one trying to get in a relationship with this woman. Yeah. That's interesting. So how long has Jackson been doing the painting and how long have they been sort of doing the do? Yeah. As it were. Long enough for this. him to actually have feelings for her. It's an interesting take because most people do the take of, oh, women can't have casual sex without developing feelings. So it's a really interesting take on that because mm. it's the man that's developing the feelings. And Susan that's like, no, we, we said no. Yeah. Yeah. Revert how the turntables. Yeah. So... At the party, Susan reminds Jackson that they had an agreement to keep things casual and tells him that if he went off with another woman, it wouldn't bother her. So he grabs Catherine and kisses her. Yeah, do you have to sexually harass Catherine to make your point? Yeah. This threw me off a little bit because I thought, Catherine's not the type of gal that would just allow that. I don't know, because I've already watched the next episode. So I, yeah, I do believe Uh, that that Catherine would allow this in this instance. (laughs) This is a different Catherine than what we've had in the last season, in all fairness. It is a very different Catherine. Five-year time jump Catherine is a different woman. So after the party, Jackson asks Susan if she thinks they have a future, but Susan would rather keep going as they are, which basically answers Jackson's question. Poor Jackson. Yeah. But it must be hard, though, because he really thought maybe this was turning around into something else. Yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, We're now going to have a little chat about Dave, who gets quite a bit in this episode. So it seemed fitting that he has his own little section. Yep, master Uh, manipulated Dave here. Dave turns up to the party with Karen's cake, and we get a flashback of Dave, who sees Karen going through his mail. Uh, She throws out a generic excuse, which only gets him more suspicious. And then we're talking to Edie, Karen's birthday comes up, and Dave decides that they should throw her a party, even if Karen doesn't particularly like him. Yeah, that was a bit odd. Edie rightfully does ask, Karen isn't a fan of yours, why do you want to throw her a party? Yeah. And it is suspicious. It is suspicious, but Guy just wants a party. Can you blame him? It could have been anyone's birthday, and I bet Dave would be like, we should throw a party. He's just lucky that Edie is so self-involved that she's not questioning Dave's motives, because I would have been like, she doesn't like you, why are you throwing a a party, you weirdo? What (laughs) planned, Mr. Mr. Mystery Man? (laughs) So the night of the party, Dave has Edie take Karen out for drinks whilst they set up at Susan's place and then Edie drags her there, basically. And Karen turns up and is left alone with Dave very briefly and he tries to make small talk, which she isn't interested in, and tells Dave she has enough friends before leaving. Yeah, no offence to Karen, but this is how you dress for your 70th. Yeah, she's just, she's she's an older lady. She's not making, she doesn't care. I mean, I guess it's multicoloured, so that's probably quite jazzy for her. Yeah. Jazzy. But then Karen does say no big whoop about it, so clearly she's not all that big about celebrating herself. So with Karen and Edie gone, Dave sneaks over to Karen's, breaks in and rearranges some stuff to make her think she's going crazy. 
and then we cut back to the party where Edie turns up to warn everyone that Karen will be here any second. We cut to Karen who enters her place and see everything rearranged with a bat on the sofa and then she immediately goes to Dave. Right, she's like, like what the hell? Dave. <laughs> He's moved some random chest of drawers and moved a picture off of the wall onto the sofa. Yeah, and like the little bowl where she puts her keys. Yeah. That's been moved and so much has been like moved around. Dave probably just got too into it. He went in there to put a bat on the sofa and he's like, oh, hang on, actually, I could do some work with this interior. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, moving around. He should have repainted. <laughs> so Edie then tells everyone Karen's coming and they switch the lights out ready for her. And we see Karen enter, pissed off with Dave, and she goes for him with the bat, destroys the cake. Jackson and Bob grab her while she rambles about Dave breaking in and all the things moved around and not where they should be. And admittedly, it doesn't look or sound great for Karen. I was going to say, everyone is looking at her like she's lost her mind. Because she's acting like she's lost her mind. She's there like, oh, and the thing with the keys was, it's always by the door and it wasn't by the door and, and the photo was off the wall. And... Well, she's just trying to explain herself, but she's getting all emotional. Mm, yeah. Dave steps forward, asking why he would do that. And everyone sort of agrees. <laughs> and Karen lunges for him again before the scene is interrupted by a very happy Gabby who just got her period. Yeah, really poor timing, Gabby. As per usual. <laughs> she but... just runs in like, hallelujah, I've got my period. <laughs> hallelujah, I got my goddamn period. <laughs> so, great news, Gabby's not pregnant. Yeah. Police and ambulance now turn up to take Karen for an evaluation as Dave is rambling about dementia, trying to, like, put that seed into the paramedics' minds. As if you need to at Karen's age. Yeah. <laughs> Dave says a private goodbye to Karen, and he apologises for it being her that he has to get rid of, but she's onto the fact that he's up to something. Which I thought was weird. Like, why do the ambulance drivers let Dave in? He's the one that Karen hates, so surely letting him in would just upset her further. Yeah. It kind of makes no sense, because I imagine the police are there, the ambulance are there, so everyone should be be under the impression that Karen went for Dave. Yeah. So why would you let Dave in? He's the one that she literally tried to attack. Keep yeah. him away from her. He'll just upset her by being around her. He could get hurt. Also, is Dave getting too cocky? <laughs> Maybe. Do you think? Because he's going up to Karen and being like, I'm sorry, it has to be you, but I have big plans and you're getting in the way. And he like, is Dave... getting too cocky. They're, do- they're going to do a psych evaluation and surely they'll see that she's fine. Yeah. Because they're not just going to ask her about that night. They're going to try and test her brain capacity in general right yeah and then surely they'll realize that she's fine and they'll let her out eventually yeah so that's basically the episode mary alice ends the episode talking about surprises and we see tom miserable because he can't get what he wants uh, <laughs> orson and brie make up we see gabby and carlos go home uh, perfectly fine and happy i guess they make up as well and we see susan watching jackson leave and then we see dave alone thinking about his plan going forward Oh, the men were rough in this episode. The men were rough. Rough, rough, rough. Rough. All of them. So let's move on to our next segment where Joel is going to give us the gayest and the straightest moments. And let's start with the gayest moment. Uh, So my award for gayest moment. Goes to interior design queen Dave. No. (laughs) For walking into Karen's and being like, this won't do, girl. And then rearranging shit to try and make it a a nicer, more zen place. You could clearly see that the age that Karen is at, she needs something a little bit more zen, a little bit more relaxing. And he's like, oh, this place is a mess. You're never going to get the rest and, you know, stress-free lifestyle you need at 70. So he helped. Yeah, he queer-eyes her house. He does queer-eye her house. He is one of the fab five. This keyboard would go great here. This bat would go nicely on this sofa. (laughs) Very... Rustic chic. It's gone from Fab Five to Sumptuous Six. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, so that's my award for gayest moment. My award for straightest moment. <laughs> goes to Susan and her complete and utter lack of colour knowledge. Oh, right. How about taupe? <laughs> that's the only colour Susan knows exists. Yep. And pink and green <laughs> as and well, actually. Things in the beige family in general. <laughs> Pretty much. And then pink and green. Yeah. So uh, it goes to Susan. It also goes to Susan for um, not developing feelings. <laughs> yeah. She's a lad now. She's a lad. <laughs> she's a lad that has no knowledge of colour theory. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a college lad, basically. Yeah. yeah. So um, those are my awards. And now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parent. So B, who do you have for the best parent? My award for... Best parent of the episode. Bear in mind, there wasn't that much to go off of here. So some of these might sound a bit random. I gave this to Lynette for comforting Penny when she thought that Tom was dying. Yeah, that was a sweet little moment. Because it's all I had. And then my award for... Worst parent of the episode. I'm giving this to Carlos for trying to deceptively get another baby. Yes. I yeah, did that. Without caring about the other two children. Right? I want a boy. <laughs> so, Juanita, sorry, Juanita from Brumhilda, but you're just not good enough. Um, so, that's that was the episode. What did you think about the episode? It was okay. Just okay? Yeah, there were a lot of weird things about it, but it was mostly okay. I liked the concept. Yeah, I was about to say, what do you think about the, the layout? It was nice to get the some... Flash forward, fla- the constant flashes. There was flashes everywhere at this episode. <laughs> Didn't mind it at all. There was um, a nice amount of things covered from the, the time jump that weren't needed, but are nice to have been delved into. Yeah. What about you? I, I really appreciated the take that they did, and I, I liked that they found an interesting way to give us information about the five-year time jump that mm-hmm. wasn't just one of the housewives saying this happened so basically film and tv rule show don't tell yeah yeah so that was season five episode five mirror mirror where can people find us if they have any comments queries questions and theories so you can find us on instagram at boyfriends review and you can find us on twitter at bfs review we also have email which is boyfriends at outlook.com and you can find louis who does all of our artwork at DocRedMonkDesign on Instagram, and there's also a link to his Etsy page, and he does commissions. Yes. Join us next week, where we'll be back in your ear holes with Season 5, Episode 6, There's Always a Woman. There is always a woman, isn't there? There usually would be a woman. Bloody women. See you next week. <laughs> See you next week, Bye. guys. Bye. Bye.